Shortly before Mass, I was talking with one of the priests here, and he was just sharing that he's in the midst of some real tough stuff, ministry in a a difficult situation, and I I just want to respect that privacy, but I'm mentioning in general, uh, thinking for myself, I'm in the midst of something right now with another family, real tough, difficult things. And I'm sure many of the people in this room right now, you've got something going on in your lives or can remember something or maybe there's something on the horizon. And I'm mentioning all of that because sooner or later, the rubber hits the road and a gospel like the one we have today gets stretched to its limits. I mean, I work over at the seminary and it's so easy to take a gospel like this and blessed are these and happy are those and If you're suffering, you'll be comforted. If you're struggling, you'll get some resolution. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, they will be satisfied. And yet, if we're brutally honest, that's a reading that is incredibly hollow sounding at various times in our lives. Doesn't mean it's not true, doesn't mean I don't believe it, but if we're gonna be honest, that is not a particularly welcoming gospel when you're in the midst of it, for most people. I'm not gonna pretend that it's that way for everyone. And Jesus wasn't an idiot. If anything, he lived in an age and a time where things were a lot rougher in a material sense than what we see today. Lots more illnesses were terminal, lots more children never lived beyond their first year. All kinds of things that would horrify us was just part of everyday life. He wasn't a fool. And he knew that there were plenty of people who tried to make peace that get ground into the dust and don't seem to resolve anything. And the people he was talking to weren't fools either. So what's up with this? Well, I think the first thing to start with is that the reality of life clearly means it's not just some simple surface level meaning we're supposed to give to this. As if we do a kind of spiritual lobotomy and pretend we don't know the way things actually happen. So whatever the truth is there, it's got to be something else. And I don't think Jesus is just playing mind games with us either. I'd like to suggest that maybe the key to that beautiful passage we call the Beatitudes is really those very final lines. And I've got to tell you, this is one of the most common readings you'll hear at weddings, except the bride and the groom always have one request. Father, I love this reading. It's so beautiful. It's so peaceful. It it paints this picture of a world that I want our marriage to reflect. Um, Could we just lop off those last couple verses? Could we just get rid of those? Blessed are you when they persecute you, when they hate you, when they call you every sort of evil name because of me. And that's as much a part of it as anything else. And so what I'd like to suggest maybe Jesus is inviting us into is a kind of holy indifference, if I can use it that way. Indifference, I don't mean I don't care, call me anything you want. I try, it succeeds. I try, it fails. I don't care. Not that kind of indifference, but a holy indifference. In which it says what we really try to do is we try to make a difference in the world. We try to go to the hungry. We try to be peace in the midst of struggle or warfare. We try to comfort those who mourn. And sometimes we, quote, succeed, and sometimes we don't. And sometimes we're welcomed, and sometimes we're hated. 
So if it isn't just a sort of balance beam, you know, well, maybe if you win more than you lose, I guess it turns out okay, then what is it about? And I'd like to suggest that holy indifference simply means that no matter what the situation we find ourselves in, there's always the opportunity to receive. Because in the spiritual life, we can't do anything other than receive. We can try this, we can try that, we can work hard, but ultimately the fruit of that is just do we render our hearts and the hearts of the people we love more receptive to the love of Christ, to the love of the people around us. And there is where I think the rubber hits the road because all of a sudden you say, how receptive I am can't simply be dependent on whether or not I seem to be succeeding in my mission or my task? What if I go to the person who's in the midst of strife and struggle and I can't magically take away what they're wrestling with? I can't bring their loved one back to life. I can't heal the sickness. I can't give them their job back. I can't magically fix their relationship. But what can I do? And what I can do is ultimately what Jesus did. It's easy to fixate on the miracles, but far more people were not healed than were in Jesus' day. Aside from Lazarus and the son of the widow of Nain, nobody was brought back to life by Jesus. Most people he saw die stayed dead. But what he could do is he could love them and he could help their hearts be open to the love of the Father. And that is transformative. The way you help someone's heart be more receptive is you love it into receptivity, if I can put it that way. No, I can't change physically this external thing that may be racking your heart and your life, but I can love you in the midst of that. And that makes a difference, because there's a little voice, I think, that says sometimes, if you can't fix it, then why even bother? If you can't fix it, then all you're going to feel is frustration or Maybe you've known the feeling that I've often known. I kind of feel it even in the midst as I'm walking with this family right now, sort of helpless. And I'll be honest, Father John, I'll be brutally honest with you. Sometimes I say these prayers and it almost just feels hollow because it doesn't seem to be penetrating even remotely the grieving heart or the sad face. But in my humanity, I go to gospels like this and it's a good kick in the pants to say, no, at the end of the day, the love of God is not a consolation prize. It really is transformative. And if you can love someone in the midst of their suffering, what that does, I think, is it opens us up to a vulnerability and a humility that allows us to say, all I can do is receive. You know, I, I've got nothing here to give that's going to seemingly solve the problem. And so when we talk in the little homily series here about a whole new perspective, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that new perspective is not going to be seen unless we're in a state of mind to actually see it. It's there, it's in front of us at all times. But if you're like me, I more easily see the kingdom of God when all the happy parts of that gospel are realized. I can see the kingdom of God when the struggle is ending, when the mourners suddenly find happiness. I don't see the kingdom of God when people are being persecuted and hated because of Jesus. 
And Jesus is saying, hey, it's all the kingdom because I'm there in the midst of everything. And so maybe just a little spiritual exercise as we move into this fourth week of ordinary time. Reread the Beatitudes. I mean, most of them, us almost know them by heart, but to just carefully reread them and ask yourself, are there any of these that just don't ring true for me? And maybe for you, they all ring true. That's awesome. Please invite me out for coffee because I could use a good pick-me-up. But maybe for some of you, some of those just don't quite ring true. You know they're true, you accept them as gospel scripture, but maybe some of it just sounds a little bit hollow. Then that's exactly where to go. That's exactly where to go in prayer. Hey, Lord, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, God, I'm mourning right now, and I don't feel comforted. But just to say that with absolute honesty is to open our hearts to be a little more receptive. You name the elephant in the room, so to speak. And if we can do that with God in prayer, we can certainly do that with the people in our lives. Something every priest knows, and I'm sure everyone in this room knows in your own way. We know what it feels like to have another look at us and say, okay, you're supposed to be the one who brings the joy of God into my life. Well, I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. And just to love someone in the midst of that frustration makes all the difference in the world. And I think what Jesus is saying is if you can stay there with each other and not give in to despair, to not become cynical or sarcastic, the love is transformative. And so if you want to find true happiness, ironically, sometimes start with true frustration or even true misery or true anger because the lie says that God isn't there. The lie says that the joy of God won't be found there. Go look for some happier gospel to sit with. And that lie can bring everything down. And so the little homework that the GROW team asked us to take home is, what beatitude do you want to focus on? Like a laser beam, they said. What one do you want to take up and just try and practice for this week? And what I'd like to suggest and I'm from Chicago, so I don't mind telling you how to vote. But what I'd like to suggest is maybe take the one that you're least drawn to. Maybe take the one that you don't want to focus on, like a laser beam, because it's annoying, or it's the last thing you want to spend any time with. Maybe that's the Spirit's way of saying, look here and don't go any further. So do that, or don't do that, I don't care. Pick one, though and really sit with it and maybe let it be your lens. No one should try to take on all the Beatitudes at once. But Jesus, as I said, wasn't a fool. And he knew that sometimes, and I like to think probably after he said tonight's gospel, he knew that sometimes his words just kind of rang hollow. And yet we know he spoke the truth. So how do we become more receptive to these timeless truths?